You know, we are uh, approaching a time of another presidential election. And don't worry, this is not a political speech, okay? Um, but with that comes a lot of speeches. And these men politics, uh, they, they craft their words very well, don't they? So if they're going to go to uh, a crowd, to a city, to a town, to a workplace, wherever they're going to go to, to give their speeches, it's well known that they send out their prep team, right? Not only to secure the area, but to figure out what, is, what do these people believe? What are, what, what's important to them? What's their favorite uh, sports team? What's, what issues do I want to bring up? What issues do I not want to bring up? What are their, what's their religious background, et cetera, et cetera. This imperative that these candidates, as they give their speeches, that they know their audience. It's imperative that they say things, and they're good at this, that the people want to hear because they're trying to convince them to vote for them, right? So they will have a positive impact on those who are listening. So it's really important that the speaker uh, realize the importance of knowing his audience, that he desires to know his audience, and that he wants uh, to know what they do for a living, etc. all those things. He wants to make a positive impact he must approach his audience with the knowledge of who they are, what they like, and what they dislike. Now, there have been many debates over the last many decades in regards to Christian music. One of those debates centers around who is the audience of our Christian music? Who's the audience? Is it man? Is it God? Furthermore, some would even venture to say that it doesn't really matter who the music, who the audience of our music is. So I propose two important questions to you tonight, okay? The two questions, one is who is, who is the audience of our Christian music? I've got two answers that seem to be popular. One is... As we've said, we to sing to the Lord. Singing to God will lead us to find out what is important to God. What does God want to listen to? God desires, obviously, things that are pure. Things are good. If we sing to man, the other option, sing to God or sing to man, uh, singing for self kind of fits into that category, of singing to man, will lead you to find out what your human audience prefers, whether that uh, is what you prefer as the singer, instrumentalist, musician, what, what do I prefer, what do I want to listen to, or what do they want to hear, what will please the people that I'm singing or playing for. And then there's, the, uh, there's a second question, the second big question, one, who's our audience? And, and secondly, that we've already mentioned is, is, does it matter to whom we sing? Philosophically, does it, does it even matter? Uh, what, 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 would make the, what would make the difference? Is this just semantics? Is this just words that we're saying to whom we sing makes, makes an important 
Well, if, if, God desires, if God's desires are pure and good and man's flesh desires are lustful and prideful and sinful, then, then obviously the, the end result of both of those would be in contrary or opposing one to the other. So yes, it matters. Now, I, I know from your own testimony, many of you here, Grace Baptist, Birmingham, uh, many, several, uh, as I look out, I see some of you have told me your personal experiences, your personal testimonies about, about how you have left churches. Maybe you were you know, decades ago, or maybe even more recently, you've left churches because you began to notice significant change, uh, perhaps a change in leadership direction, perhaps a change in music, perhaps a change in, in the preaching, perhaps other reasons, of course. Some of you, I know, even tried to fight those changes. Let's keep the old ways, as it were, as we discussed even in our Sunday school class this morning, Jeremiah 6.16, keep the old path, keep true to God. But alas, there was no avail. Things continued to change in that ministry, and you decided that God didn't want you anymore and there anymore, and you moved on. And when you found Grace Baptist of Birmingham, you realized that the preaching was true to God's word. And the music was too. We don't say that pridefully, but we say that intentionally. Intentionally, the preaching and the music here we trust is founded on God's word. That's, that's intentional. For us, we intentionally desire to please and to glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. After all, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And of course, that should include our worship. And of course, that should include our church service, our music in our church service, of course. Now, uh, even more recently, a couple of, I don't remember, several weeks, maybe even a couple of months ago, uh, one of you asked me, says, you know, can you tell me why, can you tell us as a church, why do we sing the music we sing? Why do we not do the things that some other churches do? Why, um, why don't we have a stage that looks like it's ready for a rock concert? Why don't we have the excessive rhythm instruments and the electric guitars? Why don't we have the smoke machines and the light show? Why don't we do that? And some, I understand, have actually said, you know, if we did, we could really draw in some young people. That's probably true. But why don't we have these things here? 
there are many reasons why we don't have those things there, but, but I believe one of the answers lies in this question that, with, that I've put before you already tonight, and that is, to whom do you sing? To whom do you offer your worship? Do you offer your music? In other words, who is the audience of your song? Now, um, I'd like to first see what the Bible says, okay? So I've given out several pieces of paper, and if you have those, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pass a microphone out. Uh, if you're listening online, I'll give the reference, and maybe you can look that up as, as we go. But if you're here in the auditorium uh, <clears throat> with us, I just ask you to speak up and speak out as best you can. Uh, I have the first one. And that's Exodus 15. Uh, Exodus 15, and we won't take the time to give all the context, but in Exodus 15, we're just on the other side of the Red Sea with Moses and the children of Israel. God has miraculously split the Red Sea. All of Israel went across on dry ground. And after the Egyptian warriors are following them, God destroyed all of the Egyptian The Bible says that no man that went in came out alive. So God destroyed all of the Egyptians as the waters came crashing down. And Moses wrote this song, verses 2 and 3, the beginning of the song. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation for my an habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. All right, so if you, as I read the reference, if you have this verse, if you go ahead um, and read it out loudly, please. Psalm 717. Psalm 9:11 Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion declare among the people his doings Psalm 13:6 I will sing praise unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me Psalm 30 verse 4 Sing unto the Lord O ye saints of his and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness Psalm 33, 2, and 3. Praise the Lord with harps. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Psalm 66, verse 4. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. Psalm 92, 1. Psalm 71, 22. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee, and my soul which thou hast redeemed. Psalm 95, verse 1. Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Amen. Psalm 98, verse 1. O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. 
his right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. Psalm 104, verse 33. Isaiah 12, 5. Say unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. I'll read Ephesians 5, 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3, 16. Of course we could read more. What does the Bible say? To whom do we sing? We sing unto the Lord. So scripturally speaking, who is the audience of our song? It is the Lord God. One of my favorites is Psalm 104.33. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. We must sing to the Lord and not to man. The scripture is clear. God must be our primary audience. Yes, we get to listen in. Yes, we are edified. Yes, we are encouraged to praise the Lord along with the singer, along with the musician the instrumentalist. But our song is to the Lord. So, if we follow our argument from the beginning, which is very clear throughout Scripture, and this possibly may be one of, of several messages, the Lord, Lord willing, so we'll not cover everything tonight by any means, but... but if we are going to offer our worship before the Lord, then we must know what does the Lord, what will he accept? What is he like? If we're going to offer worship to him, we can't just offer anything. That's clear through scripture. And that was rejected. And we'll look at one or two incidences of that a little bit later and perhaps in other sermons for sure. But God just does not accept anything that you offer before him as worship. So it would behoove us to offer worship to him in like kind to who he is. So as uh, Pastor Nate's sermon this morning is such a blessing. What to love the Lord, everything in me and on the outside of me, and then all of my utmost to love the Lord with. And that goes hand in glove with what we're talking about tonight. If that's your heart, to love God with everything in you, everything that you are, then you should have that desire to find out what does God want from me? What type of worship will he accept? So let's look at it first. Let's look at a few attributes of who God is. Okay, we'll try to move quickly. Find out the attributes of our audience, if you will. 
our audience being the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth. So first, the God of the Bible is holy, right? We know the holy means morally excellent. He's perfect. He's pure in heart, temper in disposition. Uh, Exodus 15.11 says, Who is like thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? Leviticus 19.2 Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Be ye holy for the Lord your God. I, the Lord your God, am holy. Luke 1.49 For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. You know the passage the thrice holy passage of Isaiah 6, uh, verse 3 says, And cried on one to another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Revelation 4, 8. And the four creatures had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. The Lord God of the Bible is holy. Secondly, the God of the Bible is omniscient. Omniscient. We know that universal knowledge of all things. God knows everything. Psalm 139 Verses 1 through 6, I'll not read it all. But, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou hast known my down-sitting and my uprising. Verse 4, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Psalm 147, verse 5, great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. It has no end. It is infinite. The God of the Bible is holy. God of the Bible is omniscient. God of the Bible is wise. He chooses righteous ends. He's having power of discerning. Isaiah 40, verse 28. 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, neither uh, is no searching of his understanding. He's wise. God of the Bible is a spirit. We know John 4.24, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, which leads us to the God of the Bible is truthful. He cannot tell a lie. What he says is always right and always true. Titus 1, 2, Paul, a servant of, of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which is God that cannot lie. Promised before the world began. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am Say it with me, John 14, <laughs> 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh but by me. I am the way, I am truth. It's amazing how many times in scripture, God, Jesus, one of the persons of the, of the Godhead, 
not only says that I speak the truth, but he says, I am truth. Not only does he say, I am musical, but in, in Exodus 15, 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He is music. He doesn't just produce music. It's a whole different study. But, uh, and of course, John 15, 1, I am the true vine and my father's the husband. And then after all this, after all of these attributes that we've gone through, we come to, so we've seen that God is holy. Uh, we've seen that God is omniscient and wise, and that God's spirit, he's truthful. Now we come to the God does not change, he's immutable. So he's all of those things and much, much more, and he will not change. He will always be those things. He never changes. Psalm 102, 25 uh, we're just skipping down to 27. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is also omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's sovereign. He's eternal. He's infinite. He's just. He's righteous. He's incomprehensible. He is self-sufficient. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's loving. He's jealous. He is wrathful. He is faithful. And he is good. So if we're going to offer music specifically to him as a form of worship, this is our audience. He is our audience. So perhaps, even after all this, you still say, but you know, I don't really like the kind of music that we have here at Grace. And that's your prerogative, quite frankly. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to tell any of you necessarily what you should uh, listen or not listen to in your own homes. I believe there are biblical principles that we need to follow for sure. But I do need to, to say this, and I know pastor, the three pastors here are all on the same page, and I'm very, very grateful uh, and frankly privileged because I know of men and friends who this is not would not be their testimony. But we're all on the same page. And as, as leaders here in this church, it's our responsibility before God to present music that we believe, along with everything else, music and all the other preaching and Bible and, and all the aspects of this ministry that we believe is in accordance to God's word, in accordance to God's scriptures, his principles. To the best of our ability, we're putting forth what we believe is the best as we meet together. And, you know, sometimes in areas of our life, whether we're everything from choosing our, our life's mate to to daily uh, time management, we have to make choices. We make choices every day. And when we make these choices, hopefully we will apply 
the principles of God's word to each situation. Then we sincerely might need to sincerely seek some biblical counsel. And then we offer ourselves to God in full surrender and say, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. Whatever the situation is, whether it's music, whether it's whatever you're facing, whether it's a new job. And God's Holy Spirit is always good to use the scripture to lead us down a good path. So you, you know, as we grow, as we get older, we are always rearranging our lives to become more conformed into the image of our Savior. Whether it's the music that we listen to, whether it's the friends that we have, whether it's the entertainment choices, the movies that we may watch at home, um, whether it's choosing to avoid alcoholic beverages, whether it's a choice of wearing modest clothing, whether it's a choice of choosing pure and edifying words over words that defile, or whether it's choosing music that pleases God. We all make choices. 1 Corinthians 10.31 again, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And sometimes you just come to the bottom line and say, you know, I just don't like it. When I was sick years ago with cancer, uh, my wife and I made a choice that we were going to go a certain route. So we tried to go a very natural route at the beginning. Over 13 months, uh, I... Mm, 90, 95% of my diet became raw fruits and vegetables. Did not have any meat. Uh, drank a lot of carrot juice. Ate a lot of salads. And you know, from the very first day where we made those choices, I did not like those foods very much. <laughs> But I made a choice, and I did not cheat one time in 13 months. Why? Because I believed my life was on the line. And I believed that God had chosen that path for me, and I was going to stick to it. I had to make a choice. I believe that that choice was important enough to me that it didn't matter whether I liked it or not. And you know the funny thing, after several months, when my palms were turning orange, any of you who've drunk a lot of carrot juice, I actually began to crave it. Because we all know over the time that our tastes change. And if you give yourself to what is right for what is good, for what God is leading you to, he will change your desire. He will change your tastes. You know, 
I think of Moses. We've been, again, in my Sunday school class in the library, we've been just concluding a study on Moses in, in Exodus. And I think about Moses. You know, you all know how Moses started in the basket and was discovered and raised in, with, by Pharaoh's daughter in the palace. And, but yet he never forgot who he was. He knew he was an Israelite. So perhaps when he was about 40 years old, he thought, oh, God's made me the deliverer. And perhaps through pride, he went out and saw one of his fellow Israelites being beaten, and he killed the the Egyptian. Pharaoh found out, and he ran. His desire at that point, hey, I'm the leader. I'm God's deliverer. I'm here. Then he sat on the backside of the desert for another 40 years, figuring he was no good to God, no good to anything, but maybe rear some sheep. Then it was 80 years old, backside of the desert, God came to him again and called him. He's basically told God no time and time and time again. I'm not the man. He finally said, after I went through all this bargaining, he finally said, send somebody else. And God said, no, you're the man. And then we come here, back to the book of Exodus, and we're in verse, in chapter 32, and Moses is on the top of the mount talking with God. As a man talks face to face with his friend. Now, uh, Moses did not see God's face. We understand all that. But the point is this. Moses was a different person when he was 80 plus years old than when he was 40 years old. Why is that? Because he sought to know his God. It came to a point after the Red Sea, after the... He received the Ten Commandments. He went down. Israel was in desperate sin, which, by the way, is one of our illustrations of inappropriate sinful worship, where the people of Israel there, God says, go down for the people have sinned. And the Bible tells us that they were worshiping. They called the the golden calf Jehovah. And they're worshiping it as God. God said, go down. Moses did. You know the story. He goes back up to the mountain, prays before God for forgiveness. And God says, okay, I'm going to send you into, with the children of Israel, I'm going to send you into the promised land. But God tells Moses, I'm not going with you because of the people's sin. I will send an angel. Moses said, if you're not coming with me, I'm not going either. So here Moses is at this point, he is so thirsty for the presence of God in his life that he says, God, I can't go, I can't do anything without you. Nothing else mattered to Moses. Are we at that point? We say this is a message on music, right? You could apply it to anything in your life, anything. What's God asking you to give up? What's God asking you? You know, take this step now to be more like me, to be more like my son. 
Would you not go there anymore? Would you not use those words, please? That offends me. Would you not listen to this music, but try this over here? Would you be careful not to be around those kind of friends anymore? They're having a bad influence. What is God telling you tonight? How is he wanting you to come closer, closer to him? So specifically in music, after you listen to your, the music uh, that you listen to on a regular basis, do you feel that God is in your focus? Do you have an, does the music that you listen to give an accurate description, as we've looked at from the Bible tonight, an accurate description of who God is? That God's holy, just, loving, truthful, immutable, wise, omniscient, omnipotent, eternal. So I believe, yes, it does matter to whom we sing. We sing and we worship to the Lord God Almighty.